Hello, this is Oral Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold on the first Sunday of Lent. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10. We've all heard this. Now let's listen to it with Catholic ears. Brothers and sisters, what does Scripture say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the Word of faith that we preach. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. St. Paul says to listen to Jesus and to do something about it. Believe in your heart, confess on your lips. And this is the great, hopefully the great understanding of Paul's letter to the Romans that unites all Orthodox Christians. But what does it mean to believe in your heart and confess on your lips? We are saved by faith, by ju- but judged by what we do and what we fail to do. We are beginning now Advent, and in Advent we remember our failures, our actual sins and our omissions uh, to act in a virtuous way. Today we're gonna to talk about the great virtue of prudence. And prudence is that practical aspect of judgment that exists before we even make an act of conscience that helps us when we make our act of conscience to see through the lies of the world and to choose wisely. And that's the story of the gospel today as Jesus encounters Satan in the desert. But what does it mean to have faith? First, when talking about the faith that saves, there's really two layers of meaning. The Greek word is pistis, which means faith or trust. And it can mean that you believe in what Jesus is teaching, and it does mean that clearly to Paul in the letters to the Roman. It means that you trust Jesus as teacher, um, which is he's the son of God. He ought to know what he's talking about, and we can trust in what he tells us but the third aspect, the third dimension of that word pistis is uh, what in Latin is fide, fidelity. So it's our fidelity to Christ, but also in that double-layered meaning, it's Christ's fidelity to the Father that saves us because it's his faith that takes him to the cross. It's our faith that takes us in this journey of being a disciple to follow Christ through Lent all the way up Mount Calvary and so that we might participate in the glory of Easter. So it's Jesus' example of faith and our imitation, our trusting in Jesus and our belief in what is being taught. So at the heart of it is the development in each of us of this virtue of prudence. Prudence is being able to make good judgments. Last week I talked about the virtue of temperance, how it is that we can control our passions and uh, all these lusts and appetites that work on us. Moderation helps us to form those uh, continuous habits that put keep our appetites in control. Prudence freed by temperance, helps us to make good judgments. That good judgment is always an act of conscience. 
and we're going to talk about the day that today in Oro Valley Catholic. If you remember the great feast of the baptism of the Lord, which brings the Christmas season to an end, you remember that Christ is in that sacrament revealed as the Son of God. The Holy Spirit comes down upon him, and the Father makes himself present when he says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I take delight. Listen to him. So the gospel for the first Sunday of Lent picks up right after the baptism of the Lord. And here's what it says. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days, just like Moses and the people wandered for 40 days. It's also the 40 days of Lent. To be tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. So the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live on bread alone. Then he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. The devil said to him, I shall give you all the power and glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I may give it to whomever I wish. All this will be yours if you worship me. Jesus said to him in reply, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Then he led him to Jerusalem, made him stand on the parapet of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him in reply, It also says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. And where will the devil remake his appearance? You're right, in the Garden of Gethsemane and at the foot of the cross. But let's go back through this reading about the temptation in the desert. Because at the heart of the temptation in the desert is the triple lust that St. John talks about in his first letter called 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And he's talking about the affliction of sin for every follower of Christ. And here's what St. John says in his first letter. Do not love the world or things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, sensual lust, enticement for the eyes, and a pretentious life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Yet the world and its enticement are passing away. But whoever does the will of God remains forever. Think of Adam and Eve. Sensual lust, they look and they see that fruit. Enticement for the eyes, it's beautiful and offers something. And that is the pretentious life. You'll be like God's. So in Christianity, that's the triple lust. Lust of the flesh, that's pleasure. Lust of the eyes, that's possessions, and the pride of life, that is pride. How we put it? Sex, money, and power, or in modern parlance, money, sex, and power. However you want to have that unholy trinity, friends, it's there 365 days a year. So in the fall of Adam, they saw that the, he, Adam and Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, 
That's the lust of the flesh. Delight to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes. And would make one wise, that's the serpent, the satanic promise. And that's the pride of life. And so in the story of the temptation in the wilderness, what's the lust of the flesh present? Turn these stones into bread. How is it a light to the eyes? All the kingdoms of the world belong to me. Worship me and I'll give them to you. Make one wise if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. Then throw yourself off this temple and everyone will see you levitate, right? So Ash Wednesday, when we began Ash Wednesday, what is it that the practice of the church is? Let's reflect a little bit on Ash Wednesday. What is it, after all? If you remember the readings from Ash Wednesday, the first reading was from the book of the prophet Joel, Call for a Public Fast. In Joel's call, it was because there was apparently this huge infestation of uh, grasshoppers eating the crops. And so the people in Jerusalem, the priests, called for a public fast. You see it also in the book of uh, Jonah, remember Jonah goes to the Ninevites and he doesn't even get partway through the city as he preaches the destruction of Nineveh when the king calls for a public fast even the animals fast a public fast is for the Jewish people Yom Kippur the day of atonement Ash Wednesday is for us a kind of the Catholic Yom Kippur it's a public day of atonement why is it important but because it, because it keeps us from triumphalism, that somehow sin is something that afflicts everybody else but never afflicts the church. Friends, all you have to do is be aware of church history since the beginning or even what we all remember from the last couple of decades in our own lives. There is no room for triumphalism in the gospel. We are fellow sin sinners disciples following our master, tempted just like the rest of the world by pleasure, possessions, and pride. And so what's the threefold work, our response to this public call, this Day of Atonement, Ash Wednesday? Well, it's the 40 days of Lent. And so Jesus, if you remember the reading, said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give alms, or point out not if you fast, if you pray, if you give alms. Discipleship is doing what Jesus tells us to do. Pistis, faith, is believing what we're taught. And so we fast, we pray, we give alms. Why? Fasting works against the lust of the flesh. It, it helps us get control of this claim that sensuality has on us. This is temperance, both in sexual, uh, from sexual pleasure and our appetites. Almsgiving helps us to get, be resistant in, tem in temperance to the lust of the eyes, which is possessions. Um, you know, frankly, the lie is that if you die with the most toys, you win. And the answer is no, not true. Somebody else gets your toys. That's it. Using our our wealth now to make friends in heaven, as Jesus says, by caring for the poor and those in need, the people in Ukraine. Alms works against the lust of the eyes because it is forming a habit 
that the wealth that God gives us has a destination, and that destination is for the good of others. And if we have the prudence to understand that it's for the good of the others, then heaven has a place in our life. And then when Jesus says, when you pray, well, the pride of life. When you say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you offer up your devotions. You are acknowledging that only God is God, and we are not God. Pleasure, possessions, pride. This is the threefold temptation that almost every capital sin or how we understand of sin is connected to because that lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is always resident there in our hearts. No less for Father John Arnold and, frankly, for all my listeners on Oro Valley Catholic. This is when we all recognize our common need to do something, and that do something we call Lent. It's part of this practice of fasting and almsgiving and prayer should be part of our discipleship through life. You know, um, fasting, uh, in, there's different ways to do it. Um, the church asks us on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, just two small snacks to have the energy get through the day with one meal, uh, something that would be one full meal. That's what fasting is according to the law of the church. Um, in our Catholic history, uh, bread and water has been fast. No water, no bread, which seems to me like that would be hard to just go through the day without any water or nothing and still have a, a productive work day. I find that even if I fast, if I don't have that small protein shake, which is one of my collations, boy, it's, it's hard to show up for noon mass and, and you know, kind of uh, have the energy to, to do what you need. But it's also why you fast, because it's not about becoming superhuman and training yourself to live on nothing but Eucharist. It's to remind you of the role of hunger in the world, how much we depend on God for, um, for our daily bread. Um, and so in that temptation in the desert, I would like to point out something about it that's not widely commented on. And so let's go back to that reading. Do you remember the, the last temptation, the third temptation? It says, then the devil led him to Jerusalem, made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concern you to guard you and with their hands they will support you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Friends, there's something missing from that and you don't get it unless you look at the psalm which is part of the readings for the first Sunday of Advent. And it's the third stanza of the psalm if you listen to it at Mass. And this is exactly the scripture that the devil quotes. It's Psalm 91, and it is a psalm that is for exorcism and deliverance from evil spirits. In fact, the Talmud, other uh, rabbinic writings, say that this psalm can't be read on Sunday, on the Sabbath, I'm sorry, on the Sabbath, because you're not supposed to do exorcisms on the Sabbath according to some authorities. But uh, Jesus obviously did. But here's what that third stanza that's quoted by the devil says 
in full. Upon their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the asp and the viper, and then you shall trample down the lion and the dragon. What did the devil lead out about treading upon the asp and the viper, trampling down the dragon? And who's the asp? Who's the viper? Who's the dragon? You're right. The one in the Garden of Eden. And you remember what the Lord says, what the Father said to Eve. Uh, he'll put enmity between your offspring and his. He'll strike at his head, and the dragon, the serpent, will strike at his heel. This is what the scriptures are referring to when it's said that Satan departed and to return at a later time. Because you remember that in the foot of the cross, when they tempt Jesus to come down from the cross, like being thrown off the parapet of the temple, they tell him to use his powers to save himself. Um, they challenge him to prove that he's the Messiah. It's these human mirrors of all the temptations of Satan in the desert. It is not what he came to do. He came to free us from sin. He came to restore our sanity. He came to give us that gift of the virtue of prudence, enlivened by the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. And so now, friends, let's turn and let's discuss the virtue of prudence and how it's related to this story about the temptation of Jesus in the desert. In the desert, Jesus made prudent judgments of, in his human nature because he saw through all the lies of the devil how scripture was misquoted, the temptation to misuse the power that he has as the son of God or to try to get influence over nations by uh, worshiping the devil, that is, using evil to achieve some good purpose or using his powers just to attract attention uh, and Apparently, uh, Jesus does not have a need for attention because he is God and God doesn't really need anything. He came for us, and so he got past the abuse of power, got past the need to control and dominate, got past that desire to att uh, attract attention to himself. And because he was temperate, he was able to see through all the lies of the devil in the world. So sensuality, mere appearances, pride, these are not Jesus' uh, cause for Jesus' fall because he does not suffer for that threefold concupiscence of lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of the world that uh, St. John talked about uh, based on the sins of Adam and Eve. So what is prudence? Prudence is an acquired virtue. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas would say an acquired virtue is not necessarily something everybody has by nature. You may have more of a disposition for prudence than other people, but acquired virtues are something that you have to practice. You, and the way that you do that is you need humility to understand who you are and so that you can avoid these temptations or see through them with prudence of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of the world. The book of wisdom in the Old Testament, chapter seven says, therefore I prayed and prudence was given me. I pleaded and the spirit of wisdom came to me. I preferred her to scepter and throne and deemed riches nothing in comparison with her. 
Well, so you have several million bucks. What good does it do you if you're a complete fool, right? Prudence is practical wisdom. The pagans, and this is Aristotle and Plato, saw the cardinal virtues as human-acquired virtues. Why? Because they don't have faith. They don't have pistis. And, but they knew that it was important to acquire these virtues. Otherwise, you'd always just be taken advantage of. But Christians, especially Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, consider that the cardinal virtues are relational, that they're the fruit of a relationship with Christ. Why? Because Christ and the life of grace reveals the true nature of happiness, the true end of our life, the true meaning and purpose of what it means to be a human being. And so our prudence is always related to and directed towards what is good for us in eternal life, as well as what we need to do to make our way through this world. And so we grow in acquired virtues to the extent that we actually exercise them and try to make good judgments. And as we do grow in virtue, especially the virtue of prudence, we are configured to Christ. Prudence and temperance, like I said last week, are like the covers of a book. Righteousness, that is justice and courage, really mean nothing if we don't have good judgment and if we don't have our own kind of neediness and check. So the Book of Wisdom once again says about virtue, if one loves righteousness whose works are virtues, she teaches moderation and prudence, righteousness and fortitude, and nothing in life is more useful than these wisdom's labors are the virtues. St. Thomas Aquinas said that the greatest gift that a human being can have is wisdom. And wisdom is understanding. It's not a knowledge of facts. It's understanding what things mean in your life. And then the courage to do it, to believe in your heart, confess on your lips, to believe wisdom in your heart, and live a wise life. Prudence is to act by knowledge and love. To remember all of the acquired virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, and courage are relational to faith, hope, and love because they're all formed by our faith, our peace, in Christ. We trust him, we believe him, we follow him. Our hope, which is about a world to come, but present even in the suffering of our own life but all motivated and act on by charity. And remember, that's St. Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if I speak with human and angelic tongues, but have not love, I am an empty gong, a clanging cymbal. It doesn't really matter what virtues we have if they're not motivated by love. Now, here's the difference between virtue, uh, uh, the virtue of prudence and conscience. Think about a good act of conscience is rooted in the habitual enjoyment of uh, prudence. Because prudence is how you weigh things. Conscience is this practical act, how it is that you make choices. And it's always with knowledge and understanding and choosing by love in practical circumstances. It's always relational. And what I mean by that is uh, Catholics are not relativists or subjectivists or legalist when it comes to morality. Relativism is, hey, you know, um, what's really important changes by what our circumstances are. Subjectivism is, is you know, I feel this, I feel that. It, it's 
it's an, a claim to supplant intellectual virtues with uh, purely emotive intelligence. Um, and then legalism is, this is the rule, apply it, apply it routinely, apply it in every situation. But it's always with conscience how it's to be applied. And we have centuries of judgment on acts of conscience motivated by prudence as to how it is that you make judgments in life. And so um, just think of any uh, act of conscience that you make, how necessary it is that as you weigh all of these uh, factors, what you know the moral law to be, but how it also might apply. So you start with the general proposition, do good, avoid evil. And that gives you some uh, specific derivative rules, like tell the truth. And then the, the rules are you do not tell uh, truths that blow up other people's lives unless absolutely necessary. And so you learn about something about a friend of yours that their spouse doesn't know. Do I tell her? Do I not tell her? Always an act of conscience. And what's prudence? Prudence, motivated by love, is always what's good for another person. So just take that out in your life into all the different challenges you have about how you use your wealth, how, when you tell the, what you, how you tell the truth and when. Because to have an act of conscience is to understand that circumstances uh, really play a role in every moral choice of conscience. Because conscience is about what you choose, why you choose it, and the effect that it has. This is the complete moral act of conscience. Prudence is what allows you to value both to value and weigh what your intention is, what the moral law is, and the likely effect of all of this in other people's lives. Prudence is the virtue that disposes us to make practical judgments and is, in effect, prior to conscience. It's just that innate ability to know how to weigh things and know what the right thing to do is, especially when there are conflicting moral demands on us. Most of our decision-making is, is not just one rule and this is all that matters. Generally, there are a variety of competing concerns. And trying to make an act of conscience being called on by a variety of moral concerns from different directions is why we need the virtue of prudence. And so, back to Psalm 91. And you remember that the devil uh, tried to drop out the part about this, the son of, uh, of Eve, the descendant of Eve, treading on his head. Um, but this part uh, is also that upon their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The importance of faith and the faith that, that St. Paul talks about. Trusting in what Jesus teaches us. Trusting in the faith of Jesus to save us. Doing something about it. Why it is that we try to develop these virtues. So we believe in our hearts. We confess on our lips. And yes, this is how we are to save. That's why we come to the sacraments. Because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me as 
uh, as to the sacrament of Eucharist, why we baptize, because Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why it is that we have the sacrament of confirmation, because uh, in the early church practice, they went out and laid hands so the Holy Spirit would come down on those that had been baptized. Chapter 8, Acts of the Apostles. We come to the sacramental life because Jesus commands it. So to believe in your hearts and confess on your lips is to live this Catholic life, to actually do what Jesus commands. Otherwise, imprudently, you could just make it in empty intellectual assent to Jesus. Um, that is not what faith is. Faith calls us to commitment. Prudent judgment is how we enact and act on and make decisions on our faith as it impacts our daily lives. Prudence informed by charity, faith, and hope. And so Jesus in the desert, uh, Jesus tempted. We're always tempted to take shortcuts. And at the end of the day, that's the temptation that Jesus survives. How it is that he can save the world, how it is that he can take care of himself and his disciples, and how everybody gets to see him and worship him as the Son of God. In the end, what Jesus does is salvific. He cooperates with the Father's will. And that was very prudent, but also very challenging. And so it is in our lives. My friends, have a happy and holy Lent. This has been Father John Arnold, and this has been another episode of Oral Valley Catholic.